Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. Exactly like you. They're clones. Clones. All of them. In fact, I cloned thousands of you just to get just to get up in the rankings on iTunes a little bit. You know, I <laughs> really I had cheating? to go to desperate measures. Is that? I don't know. I don't think it's cheating. I mean, because they're all the same at the beginning, but then they branch off and have their own independent personalities. Like sure. you can't, you can't tie them down after you birth them. That's true. It's a that nature versus nurture thing. So. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but hey, guys, welcome to the show. Um, man, I was super excited to have uh, Sarah Monette on the show last week. That was really fun. Yeah, it was. It, it was a great. Uh, it was a great check-in discussion for the book and then just a great discussion overall she was a pleasure to talk to that was really great really yeah fun. she of course is the Many author um then the that is her real name for her nom de plume which is Catherine addison who is the author of this month's book pick the goblin emperor if that's so not if you didn't that's... if you didn't listen to the interview with sarah monette because you're like well i'm interested in an interview with Catherine addison so i'm not gonna listen to this other person that i don't know uh go back and listen to it because it's the same person same person. So, Tom, what are you drinking this week? Well, I have a uh, Smithix premium Irish ale left over from St. Patrick's Day. Should I open it, though? Because I feel bad because you you have a thing going on, so you can't drink anything, and I'd be drinking alone. I've got my next, my next Bollywood dance class tonight. I know, you guys, two weeks ago I did my first one, and then last week they were off, so I didn't do one. But then this week they're back. And so I'm doing another one. Um, and it was cracking me up because everyone was posting like their favorite Bollywood dance music numbers in, in a thread in Goodreads. I think the thread for the last for that last podcast for 208, um, the last time we had a book club show. And I was cracking up and I was like, I don't think I'll ever be that good, but it's it's something good to work towards. So I appreciate yeah. the the enthusiasm, you guys. You so always I think what Veronica is trying to say is she promises for our next monthly silliness on the Patreon forum that she will do all of those moves. <laughs> oh, I don't want that on the internet. Nope. <laughs> I'm good. All right, I'm bye. good with that. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so I'm just drinking water this evening. <laughs> That's probably Stay a We're doing you later this night. Should we jump into the quick burns? Yes, we should, because we have to start with some sad news. Yes, uh, this actually broke um, the day or the day Thursday. after uh, we recorded our last episode, day right? After. So the day after we recorded the one. Um, yes, Terry Pratchett has passed away um, at age 66, uh, heartbreaking news. I, I definitely cried over this one for sure. Um, what, what a great guy. What a great author. Uh, what a great person who did so much for his fans, you know, going to conventions, talking to people just in general, like being a, the kind of author you couldn't, an author you couldn't hope more of. I mean, it, he was just like really, 
wonderful. And I'm, I'm sad human. we never got a chance to meet or a interview human you him. Couldn't yeah. Hope or, uh, yeah, me too. Uh, very, very sad that we didn't pursue that. Uh, Paul was the first to note it on the quick burns, but then Sandra tried to at least shine a little bit of light. Uh, nothing can ever replace someone, of course, but there will be one more Discworld novel. Uh, the uh, There is a book in the works, The Shepherd's Crown, uh, which is going to come out this autumn. Yes, and I was very happy uh, to hear about this one, especially too, because it's a Tiffany Aching novel, um, which was one of which was essentially my my very first foray into the world of Terry Pratchett. Um, so that made it even more special for me. Um, I know you, you guys are huge fans of his books out there in the audience, and we all have our own personal favorites. Um, and I, someone said, I, "Gosh, I don't have the thread open right now," uh, but someone said they're going to buy it and then never read it just so they can always say that they have one more Terry Pratchett Aww. book to read. And that made <laughs> me almost cry all over that is, again. That almost made me cry just now. I know. Um, um, so, so let's, you know, I think, I think, go ahead. Yes. No, go ahead. You think what? No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say, let's move on to something uh, good, which is that Dara pointed out Galantz plans to publish the next Scott Lynch novel, The Thorn of Emberlane, by the end of 2015. They also revealed the cover art, too. Oh, yeah, it's awesome looking. And I'm still a book behind. So I guess I better work to catch up this year. There's you not don't too need much to time. hold Republic of Thieves so that you'll always have another Scott Lynch novel to read because there's another one coming out. It's okay. That is true. <laughs> uh, Thorn of Emberlane, of course, book four in the Gentleman Bastards series. And it is apparently, and if you want zero spoilers, cover your ears. Uh, it's apparently uh, Gene and, uh, and of course, um, ah, why can't I think of the gen of his name suddenly? Oh, my gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's happening to me, too. Jean How can I remember Gene Tannen? Jean, Jean Tannen. Jean, Jean, uh, furiously Googling while everyone in the audience. He is, is in fact, the thorn of Emberlane. There you go. That's a good way to cover it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Locke. It's the freaking name of the first novel, Tom. <laughs> the Lies of Locke Lamora. Anyway, uh, those two are trying to convince the public Republic of Emberlane to hire their mercenary crew, which doesn't exist because they're con men. And uh, it's a uh, it and everything proceeds from there. All right. Well, I will look forward to that after I finish the next book. Um, we got this tip in email about the Alpha Sci-Fi Fantasy Horror Workshop Scholarship Drive. Um, this is pretty cool. So the Alpha SFFH Workshop brings together young writers aged 14 to 19 uh, for 10 days of creation and peer review critiques. It's like any other workshop out there. But what I love about this is that it's for younger people um, as well, like totally unestablished authors, people just getting their start, people who are still finding their love for for genre fiction um and so they're doing a drive right now uh we have a link to it over on the website we'll put it in the show notes as well um so they've got interviews with other authors they've got all sorts of cool stuff over there and yeah so it's it's you know they they often require financial aid to get to do this kind of stuff so they're trying to keep costs low and and asking for help from other sci-fi fantasy fans out there so head to alpha.spellcaster.org slash donate if you'd like to know more, we've got a write up on the up on the blog as well that Veronica did. Mm -hmm. Dara sent us the note that HBO wants ten more seasons of Game of Thrones. 
no, that not 10 more seasons, but they do are talking about doing 10 seasons. Now, remember, the producers of the show have said they're pretty stuck at seven. Uh, but the head of programming for HBO, Michael Lombardo, was talking to Entertainment Weekly and said, uh, you know, if they're not comfortable going beyond seven seasons, I trust them. But uh, gosh, you know, I'm not quoting anymore. Wouldn't it be nice if they had 10? It sounds like he's trying to talk them in. To doing more seasons because it's so darn popular. Uh, at the same time, Mark pointed out that on George R. R. Martin's live journal, he talks about how he has to cancel his appearance at Worldcon in Saratoga because he just really has too much to do. Read, he doesn't say this and, out right. Yeah, and come right. Right on the next book. Uh, yeah, now he didn't cancel Comic-Con because he'd never actually scheduled it, but he said, not going to be at Comic-Con. If you were thinking I might show up this year, not going to happen. Uh, he did say, though, should I complete and deliver Winds of Winter before these cons roll around, I reserve the right to change my mind. Go, George, go. <laughs> he reserves the right to do anything he wants to at this point. Um, but I'm not surprised that HBO is pushing for a full 10 seasons. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal for them. This is a huge series for them. Although the difference between seven seasons and 10 seasons, it's not like they're just going to do five seasons and that's it. You know, seven's a pretty good number for a series length, I would say. And if you're the showrunner, and you've sat down with George R. R. Martin, and you've got the secrets of the kingdom, literally, and you think mm -hmm. seven seasons is the right way to go, I feel real nervous about pushing that showrunner to stretch, is essentially what it feels like. You don't, you don't want to do mm -hmm. that. I'm nervous enough about them going beyond the books, which is going to happen. Uh, so... If they think seven seasons is how they optimally tell this story, then it should be seven seasons. Well, I'm betting that they'll probably do as many seasons as they feel comfortable with. Um, it would be a disservice to fans, I think, to to stretch it or push it beyond its believable limits. Um, although it would be fun if they went even deeper into some of the side stories of other characters that maybe we don't know that much about. Now that they're deviating from the books, I feel like this opens up a whole new world of possibilities for, for side stories or, or new tales, things that we don't know anything about. I would be cool with that if they're like, Game of Thrones is seven seasons, but... The Song of Ice and Fire goes on, and it's almost like a Better yeah. Call Saul situation. We're like, now we're going to do the backstory of this character. Now we're, that would be really cool, actually. Yeah, there there is a precedent now for this kind of thing. So yeah. you know, for better or for worse, I'm, there have been other spinoffs that have not done as well in the past. Caprica after Mash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was a thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It's That's basically my go-to, like that and Joey are my two examples of the sequel series that goes wrong. I didn't watch it, but I feel sad for Joey when I think about that show. I watched the first season and I was rooting for it, man, because the characters that were on there, the actors that were on there were doing a great job. <laughs> they just they just <laughs> could not be, they were not set up for success in, in some ways, so... 
Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, moving on again, uh, Joanna posts to a thread that Lois McMaster Bujold wrote over on Goodreads itself over on her blog over there, her author site. Um, she says, I am pleased to report that a new Cordelia Vergossican novel has been sold to Bain Books for publication tentatively in February of 2016. The title is Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen. It is not a war story. It is about grownups. And that is probably all I ought to say right now in a venue read by the spoiler sensitive. It is, after all, a long haul till next February. 2016 will also mark the 30th anniversary of my first publication with Bain, uh, which ought to be good for a little PR fun. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, that is, uh, as Joanna said, so excited, so excited, so excited. <laughs> and if you look on the Goodreads thread, there's so many like yays with multiple A's and just gahs and all kinds of stuff. People are really psyched. Backslash happy dance. Yeah, totally. Uh, so Scott. Sky pointed out a couple of things about Star Wars uh, to us. Uh, one is that they've named the standalone Star Wars movie titled Rogue One. Uh, the director and release date are also out there. Episode 8 uh, will be directed by Ryan Johnson and come out May 26, 2017. Uh, but more to the point of sword and lasery stuff, 20 new books will be released in the new Star Wars universe in a series dubbed Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens, spanning multiple publishers and age groups, filling in the gaps between Return of the Jedi and the upcoming movie, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Details on the first standalone uh, book are coming, and I guess Chuck Wendig is going to be writing one of these books. Yes, he is writing the first a newly canonical novel set after Return of the Jedi. Um, he is really excited about it. My is dog he... is excited for Chuck. Everyone's excited is, for which, Chuck. Which That's amazing. That? Star Wars fan. Which, uh, uh, what which are... dog is, is this? Oh, that would be Sawyer. Yeah. He wanted me to tell you. Uh, no, is I, Django I... the Trekker? <laughs> Django reads Victorian novels. Does get into the whole star thing. It's like Typical. the Cylons, though. I, I, sorry, I'm still really excited for Chuck Wendig. That's that's amazing. No, I, mean, I am can, too. Can you imagine the honor? Can you imagine getting that call? Like, uh, hey, we kind of want you to write the novel that connects Return of the Jedi to the Force Awakens. Are you interested at all? Would you be into that? Man, you know, I don't even know if I picked up that he is a, a big Star Wars guy. I guess I haven't been reading his blog enough. I Maybe we even discussed it with him, but I feel like I know so many authors at this point that have written in that universe or have done work for that universe or are totally obsessed with that universe. That I, And I guess it makes sense because we interview sci-fi fantasy authors. Of course they love Star Wars. Uh, but I, I didn't know that he was writing or planning to write in that world or, or had any desire to, but... Hey, if they come knocking, I can't think of an author worth their salt that would be like, no. Yeah. Star Wars Aftermath uh, is what it is called. Uh, although it does make me a little sad that we won't be seeing the Perfect Strangers novelization, Balky's Day of Blood. <laughs> was that another one of his planned planned books for the that future? That was what he has been jokingly referring to this as before he could actually reveal what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. All right. And finally, on the quick burns today, we have one from Tomahome who says Station Eleven is a finalist to be nominated for the Faulkner uh, Award. Uh, this is coming from ABC News. 
Uh, Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven, a dystopian novel about a post-pandemic world that was one of last year's top literary releases, is a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction. Um, other finalists announced Tuesday for the $15,000 prize are Jeffrey Renard Alien's historical novel uh, Song of the Shank, uh, Jennifer Clement's tale of a young Mexican girl prayers for the stolen, Atticus Lish's multicultural love story preparation for the next life, and Jenny Offill's marriage Chronicle Department of Speculation. So this sounds like the only true genre fiction book in this list of fiction novels. Um, yeah. So yeah, mad props. I didn't. I don't know anything about this book. Um, so maybe it's something I should look into. Yeah, Station Eleven has been getting a lot of praise. George R. R. Martin has apparently uh, been talking it up a lot, and it is one of a few examples of books out there that are getting praise, even though they are genre books. And of course, some of those authors are trying to distance themselves from the genre, which is traditionally what you had to do if you wanted to be taken seriously. Uh, but others are embracing it, which is great. And whether the author feels they have to distance themselves or not doesn't bother me personally do what they need to do for their career but the more of these types of novels that get recognized as the great literature that they are the better i don't even care maybe fewer people will have to use nom de plumes when they yeah. switch between types of genre <laughs> yeah absolutely all right well now now it is time for barrier sword which is our feedback from the audience we have an email from uh, Peter Koenig, um, which was kind of exciting. He said uh, that he just worked with Denise Villeneuve, uh, who we discussed on the last episode, uh, also known as the Blade Runner 2 director. Uh, Peter says, hey, guys, I just heard your podcast for the first time and I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, I'm a designer and concept artist that works in film and games and just thought I'd share the fact that I just finished working with Denis, sorry, Denis, on his upcoming sci-fi film, The Story of Your Life, which will star Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Two of my favorite people. This is Veronica, by the way. Um, he goes on to say, I can't say anything about the movie I just worked on, but I wanted to voice my support for Denis as the choice to direct the new Blade Runner. People may not be super familiar with him, but if they watch his films, they'll see that he could do a great job with it. He's got a kind of dark, gritty style and, fingers crossed, could be what this new Blade Runner film needs. I really like the idea of a less Hollywood type of director tackling this story. Anyway, thanks. And if you'd like to see what kind of fantasy and sci-fi design work I do, please check out my site at the art of Peter Koenig. That's K-O-N-I-G dot com. Thank you, Peter. Very cool. Yeah, that is so cool. And I, you know, I know it's probably easy for people in the audience to say, well, he worked with him. Of course he wants. Um, that isn't always the way it works in Hollywood. When you work with someone, you don't always love them and want to unsolicited email a podcast saying how great they are. Believe me. Uh, so this <laughs> This is this is definitely a, a I would think a very genuine thing uh, that Peter is saying and and I'm excited now I'm excited to see both story of your life and Blade Runner uh, the Blade Runner sequel as well. And I am kind of blown away by Peter's artwork which I'm looking at right now on his website it is rad it is really really good I wish I had something that I could be like hey can I hire you to do some art for this thing. But I don't have anything like that. Yeah, right no, now. we're not Peter, working on a second at... anthology yet. <laughs> so, no. A lot of work. <laughs> but Peter, if you want to do the cover, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's great. I'm 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 excited about it, especially now that I've that I, you know that we've read "Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep" for the book club. Um, wait, am I getting my books crossed? That is no, Blade that's, Runner, that's right? That's Blade Runner. That's the source material for Blade Runner. Yeah. 
okay, cool. I'm on it. I was just sure that I'd said something totally very wrong nope. for a second, but it's okay. Hey, uh, so Tom and I uh, both do fantasy baseball and um, I'm not good at it and I don't know what's going on. And I really thought that I would be a lot more suited for this task because hello, fantasy baseball, like it should be right up my alley. Uh, however, it deals with real human beings and that I'm not so good with. Uh, but we have a thread here on the forums about uh, Marsh Madness sci-fi fantasy style, which I think is much more apropos to my interests. Uh, Marion writes, since it is March, I thought about the NCAA tournament and wanted to post a March Madness type tournament, but for science fiction and fantasy novels. Yeah, I know this is basketball and not baseball. They're different sports. I get that. She's just saying sports, right? Sports. Yeah. Um, so this is a really long post. I, I don't think we're going to be able to read all of oh, it, no. but uh, <laughs> but uh, they break it down to brackets. So there's the Ray Bradbury bracket representing classic sci-fi published from 1900 to 1970, the Gene Wolfe bracket representing contemporary sci-fi published from 1971 to the present, the J.R.R. Tolkien bracket representing classic fantasy published from 1900 to 1970, and the Neil Gaiman bracket representing contemporary fantasy published from 1971 to the present. And then they've got uh, the first bracket. I'll, I'll go through this because it's funny. Do you want to? Do you want to go through and read this one? Do uh, you have it up? Yeah, I have it up. What what part are you wanting me to to read? I mean, there's the, there's uh, so Bradbury much here. Bracket. I have no. Oh no, we're not going to go read all sixteen titles in every bracket, are we? That'll take us forever. No, I just said read the Bray Bradbury. So are people posting their own brackets? Yeah, is that how this works? There's Phil has a bracket, and then Trike has the Tolkien bracket. Alan uh, has a bracket. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, go there and read them, uh, and what we should do next year and maybe, uh, Marion, if you can remind us in February of next year, we should like do a tournament where we do votes and stuff. That'd be fun. Yeah. That would be fun. Okay, cool. I don't know how this stuff works. So you're going to have to teach me. Well, for this, it it's easy. You have the 16 teams, say in the Ray Bradbury bracket, and then you pair them off against each other. So you mm -hmm. would have say, okay, vote Fahrenheit 451 or Moon is a Harsh Mistress. The one that gets the most votes moves on to the next round and plays the winner of Foundation Series versus a Canticle for Leibowitz. And then you just, every week, you have a new set of polls to vote in until one of them finally takes the championship. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, very cool. Thanks, guys. If you guys want to send us in something, uh, feedback at swordandlaser.com is our email address. All right. So now it is time for our book of the month discussion. Um, I didn't realize we were wrapping up the Goblin Emperor today, Tom. I didn't either until I realized that our next show is April 1st. <laughs> and that. Well, okay. And, and that if we, we could do a check in. Um, but it, we talked about it at the beginning of the month. Then we talked about it with Sarah Monette. And then we're going to check in on it now then next then the next episode we'd have to wrap it up and uh kick off the next book at the same time i think time. that's okay though because the kickoffs are so short they're just like here is a little information about the book i'm not it done is, yet so i can't wrap this it up was, okay this was me predicting uh, and assuming you had read the the rundown i would object before the show if you didn't agree <laughs> this was me predicting yeah, nice. <laughs> that that you if i said check in you would say oh but we've already talked about it so much that we should hold off okay. so well yeah. i'm not done yet um oh so that's why doing a check-in all right well we're doing a check-in then okay 
Cool. Well, let's uh, check in with The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. Um, I am about, I'm not actually sure how much further I have to go in the audiobook. Um, it is, it's, I'm loving it. And I totally get why some people are saying nothing happens in this book. It's not, there's not really a story here. And I, I kind of disagree because I feel like the story is Maya figuring out the ropes and figuring out who to trust and figuring out who is going to help him navigate this world of, of the, um, the Anthelanesa court. And, you know, it's, it's, a it's, a, it's, it's kind of a coming, it is a coming of age story. I mean, that really is what it kind of gets to the definition of that because he starts off not knowing anything and not having any idea he's going to be thrust into this world of becoming emperor. And then we follow him as he, he definitely learns step-by-step step what, what it takes to, to be a good emperor. The only thing I have trouble with, and I think we talked about this maybe a little bit with, with uh, Sarah Monette, Catherine Addison, is that he seems a little bit too, um, or no, I think we talked about it together when we kicked off the book, but I feel like he's a little Marty stew. Um, like he's definitely, even though he doesn't know things, he's just good at everything kind of naturally. Oh, see, and I disagree. And in fact, that's, when I brought that up in the, and when we, we mentioned that before, I felt like he isn't good at everything. Uh, and in fact, he, he messes things up a lot, especially in the early parts, uh, of the novel. So I, I don't know. I, I felt the opposite. Like this could easily have been a Marty stew, but I felt like it didn't end up that way. Well, why do you think he messed up? Because I don't really feel like he did anything so hugely disruptive in the beginning that it has destroyed him. And in fact, in fact, I think some of his earlier foibles made him more endearing to certain people. Yeah, I see what you're saying, which is like he didn't ruin himself. But I mean, you have to, yep, whenever this is the problem with why calling something Mary Sue or Marty Stu ends up getting so trolly so quickly because it can easily become, well, the character didn't die or the character didn't fail. And it's like, well, if you have a hero in a story, you want him to prevail, but you want to prevail against odds. So what are the odds that he had to face? And I mean, I don't know how to explain it since I've finished the book because I'm not sure which mm. parts you've come up against. But there are things that happen that he survives through no fault of his own. There are a few things where he just his own innocence protects him because he does the right thing accidentally. Uh, but when he comes to the court, he doesn't say, what I would call Marty Stew is if the Goblin Emperor comes to the court and immediately is like, ah, I get how this works. Even though I have been thrust far away, I am going to be a master of the chancellor and I will, he will do my bidding and I will, you know, and it, everything he does is perfect. And instead he's constantly doing faux pas he's constantly in, insulting people he actually incenses certain elements of the court to the point uh, that for various reasons they want him removed and different people for different reasons want that uh, so yeah I, he he doesn't always fail and he survives you know uh, he, he survives but I I don't know I personally didn't feel like it was unbelievable. It was more like, you know, he had a couple of lucky breaks uh, and his good character served him well, which I think is believable. For me, a Marty Stew is more, you know, they're a vessel for the reader. They are serving as the, as, you know, putting the reader directly into the story and, and kind of making the choices the reader would make. And And with that, I feel like with the amount of knowledge that we have about his world and the amount of knowledge that Maya has about his world, um, that kind of 
that that is what happens. I mean, every he never it, it sounds negative, but it's not. He never surprises me in the book. Every time he has an encounter with something, he handles it the way I feel like I would handle it. And so for me, I'm just feeling like I'm I'm a play, he's a placeholder for me. And you know, maybe different people are going to have different reactions to that, but you know, there's there's a few interactions where he blows up in the exact way that I would blow up if I was upset with someone but trying to hold my shit together. And and other times he he does things wrong and I'm like, "Oh, well, I probably would have done that too." And so I never feel surprised by Maya's choices. And I think for me, that's not, it, it's, it's good because I, he, I find him very likable and I agree with everything he does. And, and, you know, it's, it's still an interesting story, but for, to be a, a, a character that is different from me, I don't feel like I'm getting that much of a, of a reaction of being surprised or like, oh, I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought to do that. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think we're just defining it differently. Like, and and I I define it negatively too. And I see that you don't. So that I think that the, that is important note to to tell people. Because to me, it's mm-hmm. I think it's something as Mary Sue or Marty Stew or whatever uh, when it's unbelievable. When it's this is the read this is the reader or the author putting themselves in the story and 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 doing everything right and everything turns out great for them. To me, what you're describing is just a really good first person character or a good perspective character where it is the reader put into the story. And there is always a character like that. It's not always the main character, uh, but there should always be somebody that the, uh, that the reader identifies with. That's just good storytelling. And I, I think that I would agree with you that yes, the goblin emperor is uh, the is you as if you had been thrust into becoming an emperor and what would you do? Um, and I would like to think that I would do the things that he does because he seems like a very kind and just person. Yeah, I really like him as a character. Um, I still can't tell who is who in this book, even in the audiobook. <laughs> When they start talking about names, I, I, you know, I'm still barely keeping it together in terms of the Mitch and Thalian, the Othelaru, whatever, all the, you know, the like the Alcath Moret. Like I can't, I, I, I recognize the words now, but I can't really figure out. This is a book where that those really needs are. whisper sync uh, between the, the the audiobook and and the written book because that helped immeasurably for me to be able to kind of scan back at what I just heard and go, oh, okay, that yeah, because sometimes you you met, you remember certain similar sounding words better if you see them, but even then sometimes mm-hmm. like I cannot tell you right now what his fiance's name is. Uh, no idea. A, I've a no lot idea. of times I only picked up that that's who they were talking about through the context of like, oh, well, they must be talking about the fiance because otherwise it, it is 100 percent. Everything is with context. If yeah. I they could switch around every single name in that book that is longer than four syllables and I would have no, no idea what's going on. Even the, I, see, I keep even the nor and Sevet. Those those Sevet those stay the pretty the people in his Nurhetchere, I can I can keep those. I, I yeah. know who those people are. I know Savit. I know Setheris. Um I can tell the opera singer's name if I hear it, but I can't remember it right now. Um, Metchen? Chris Metzen? Minvetchen. 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 Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And people who have read the book now and who didn't listen to the audiobook are like, what are the words they are saying? Who are they even talking? Or, or they're like, oh, you say it that way? That's not how I would say it. Uh, and I think right. it's a testament to how great the world building is in this book. And it, it's why I adore this book is that the world is real and it is hard to get your hands around. And it reads like history in that way. If you've ever read histories of of Europe, uh, Germanic Europe or Latin or Chinese, and you're like, whoa, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work to remember these names. It feels that way. Now, a lot of people are not going to like that because they're like, I don't want to work when I read my fantasy novel, but I feel like you can still enjoy it. Even if you don't work that hard, it just gives it that air of authenticity combined with the fact that I was riveted to what was going to happen. And I, I hesitated to say this when we were actually interviewing Sarah, but nothing ever really happens. And I don't mean that in a negative way either. Like there's not explosions that happens off screen. You know, there's not chase scenes. There's no action and yet I'm always like, what is going to happen next? What is going to happen next? And I think that goes back to what you identified, which is you were put into that position as the emperor. And so you want the goblin emperor to succeed because you would want to succeed if you were thrust into that position. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really enjoying it too. And, you know, sometimes when I'm listening, I go, what are we even talking about right now? What is it? You know, basically every time they go back to the bridge, things relating to the bridge or things relating to things happening in court. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen and try to understand what's going on. But you know, Maya probably is too. He's sitting there like, okay, who are these people? What are their motivations? Yeah. Am I supposed to know this person? What do they need from me? And I think we're all going through that same process. And that's part of what keeps it interesting maybe because I don't really, I have to work for it a little bit. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, maybe I enjoy that aspect. Maybe I'm fit to rule. Who knows? I believe you are. Uh, and that's why you are the Belmont emperor of sword and laser. Lady I, B. <laughs> I, the way I was thinking about it earlier today was this book shows why plot doesn't determine a good book. I used to think when I was younger, when people would say, well, it's about character. You have to have character. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If there's not a good plot, you're screwed. You got to have a good story. And to a certain extent, that's still true. Everything you write should advance your story. But plot in the sense of like, it has to be, you know, uh, a struggle and, and an exploit, you know, an action and all of this isn't isn't the guiding force it's character and this this book basically if you like the character and the and the characters around the emperor you're gonna love the book it's all about that and i think we do or at least most of us do yeah um, i think well there were several people posted on the forums that the same thing that you were just saying, which is like, this bugged me with the names and it was confusing and it was weird that there was nothing happening. And at the end of the book, I really loved it. <laughs> mm. Sorry, I was drinking water and I started laughing and I almost spit taked all over my keyboard, which would be the second time today that has happened. Ah, um, poor keyboard. Poor keyboard. No, I was at a restaurant where I coughed and ah, good. got water stuck in my throat and choked everywhere. Which is the third time it's happened this month. So I need to learn to play, noob. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for our check-in on the Goblin Emperor. Um, so yeah, next month on the first, um, we will be kicking off 
the new book and um, wrapping up the Goblin Emperor once and for all. Yeah, we have done four full episodes of Goblin Emperor. Um, so the wrap up might not be too extensive, though we will be going over uh, a lot of your comments in the forums at goodreads.com slash sword and laser, um, because you guys have a lot to say about this book. And we've been holding off a little bit on the spoilery discussions until we are sure that we're done with it. Um, so we'll we'll discuss some of the things you guys are talking about on the very next episode. Um, and then for kickoff wise, uh, we thought that since it was a... Um, uh, you know, a month of, of thinking a lot about Terry Pratchett, that we would pick one of his novels uh, to to read for the month of April. Now, we're, are, we are going to let the patrons uh, pick that one this month. So if you are a current patron subscriber over at patreon.com slash sword and laser, um, all you have to do is become a patron and you'll be able to access the thread there that will let you pick one of three Terry Pratchett books that we have posted about. Um, so we'd love to get your input and know what you guys want to read. And you guys are helping to produce the show. And of course, we always really appreciate that. It's a patron dictatorial poll pick. You know, sometimes we do yeah. dictatorial picks where one of us just picks it. Sometimes we do polls. This is like putting the patrons as a group in the dictatorial position, if you will. Don't call our patrons dicks. Not dicks, dictators, which mm. is a tasty potato version that everyone <laughs> should love. Oh, no. The visuals there are so terrible. So <laughs> no, very, no, very stop. awful. Stop. Wipe it from your mind. Um, uh, okay. Uh, erase. Erase. Mind erase. At the same time, I want to say our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. So thanks to the folks who back our show. And if you would like to support the show, as Veronica said, patreon.com slash sword and laser. If you can't back the show, we totally understand. Just pretend like it's one of those months that the book's being picked for you and everything will be fine. Yes. And of course, you can also support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, you can find links to the books that we talk about and some of our other favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And as I mentioned, you can get in touch with us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash the sword and laser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!